This is such a timely conversation. I, I always seem to just match up with Rebecca Schisler Marshall on these conversations. She posts something about a topic and I'm like, yep, that that's what we're going to talk about next. And this time what we want to talk about is, oh my gosh, we need to rest. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode 65. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today I'm talking with Rebecca Schisler Marshall about why we don't get enough rest, why that's built into the system, and why we need to rest. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. So you put a Facebook post up and I was just like, oh yeah. And we're not going to quote the Facebook post because we were just talking about how how we tend to privilege other people's voices and how we don't need to do that. But actually that speaks to the topic at hand, which is that the system is not set up for us to privilege our needs or our voices. So in particular, the topic was the 40-hour work week. Yeah. What's wrong with the 40-hour work week, Rebecca? <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot wrong with a 40-hour work week. <laughs> and I think one of the things that was being pointed out in that particular post was that, well, one, it's outdated, right? That this is something from a long time ago when our society looked very different. Our society was one person going to work, mm -hmm. one person staying home, mm -hmm. who was cooking and who was there taking care of the kids and doing the cleaning and doing any errands that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't designed for two people doing those things who lived in the same home and taking care mm -hmm. of a home. It, and so one of the points of that post was, you know, be gentle with yourself if you are struggling to keep up with all of this because it's an impossible task that is especially falls on women to deal with. Right. Well, because if in the old system, women were stuck at home and they wanted to do something other than stay home all the time and be isolated and do housework. Mm -hmm. And we, we chose to go into the system. It's not like the system changed to accommodate us. It was like, well, if you want to be part of the system, then you need to put up or shut up. Right. Right. You need to play the game. Exactly. Yeah. We came in saying, hey, we want something different. And it was, well, good luck. Mm -hmm. You're still in charge of the same things you've been in charge in. And you're welcome to come work on top of that. So you can have your two full-time jobs plus, you know, the full-time job of cleaning, the full-time job of designating what happens with the children. The household manager is what we've been, you know, really been charged with in addition to trying to have a, you know, quote unquote, balanced life of reaching out for our own goals, our own desires. I really think this is why women are struggling so much since the pandemic started. What is surprising and shocking to me is how 
often women then think that's something that's wrong with them instead of, oh, there's something wrong with the system in the way that it's set up. You know, and I know, I know some men who are very, very involved in raising their children Mm -hmm. and are doing the 40 hour week, week. I don't know why I can't say this. (laughs) Oh my God. The 40 hour work week alongside their partners and the men are struggling along with the women. It's a struggle for everybody. And I just wonder who benefits from the system being this way. Yeah, and I think that will depend on who <laughs> who is asking the question and who I think it, you can see a lot of different people benefiting from it. It does seem to benefit business or the corporate bottom line of having people work a 40-hour week is beneficial for them. To have them work 30 hours is is, you know, a little more challenging to pay them a similar amount of money and have them work less or to have to hire more people. And I think it does benefit the more traditional, I'm going to put that in quotes, white privileged male who still has that support at home. I live in a very white centric area (laughs) in the South. Mm -hmm. And there are still a lot of stay at home mothers who their husbands do very well, you know, they they're supported financially by their husbands, and they stay at home with the children. And, and they are really are working. I mean, that's their, you know, quote, unquote, job. I mean, it is a job. But they're, they treat it very much like a job, like these are the things I have to get done today, so that we can do these other things as a family, right? And, you know, the rich get richer, (laughs) kind of a way of looking at it. And, or anyone else that has that privilege already, then it really does support them. But I think it really does seem to keep a lot of women struggling, exhausted, and then thinking, you know, going back to that, as I mentioned earlier, that there's something wrong. You know, and and maybe it's because I taught German for all those years. And so I have, you know, friends in Europe and etc. But Europeans take time off in the summer, right? Like it's built into society, like not to say that Europeans do not work hard, but you need to go on your vacations, you need to take your rest, and they take that very seriously. So and I don't think anybody would argue that that German economy is failing at present moment. So, so, you know, apparently it is possible. This feels like a very uniquely American thing. Oh, yeah, completely. I think it is. You know, I think about the kind of the Puritan ways of, you know, work really hard and it's got to be miserable. And, you know, how can we kind of make ourselves as challenged as possible in life? It it feels very much in that same vein of, uh, you know, you work hard and then you die. I mean, that's what people say, right? <laughs> And you're right. It's, it's not like this is the only way there are lots of other cultures and ways of looking at things. It is a very American way of looking at, 
you have to work this much. It has to be this way. And I think you're right. You mentioned earlier, the men are exhausted too. It's not just the women that are exhausted. I know my husband, you know, he does a lot Mm -hmm. at work. He does a lot at home. And he's like, I just can't do all of the things that are kind of expected of us in this society. It's just too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, and work hard and then die. <laughs> right. I mean, so like, yeah. say you got sick, you would still need to hang on to your job, to hang on to your health care. So when you're sick, yeah. the very thing that you need to do is rest. And, you know, I quit my teaching job in the middle of yes. the year. I thought I needed that job. It's been hard. I have privilege that has supported me. But one of the things that I have not done since I quit my job and became a full-time mom and slash entrepreneur is I sleep. I sleep a lot. If I don't sleep enough, I get a headache and I go back to bed and I sleep. Mm. There is no margin for that in corporate America. And in corporate America, just as you mentioned, there isn't enough even downtime built into the job with vacation there's you know this two weeks thinking not even not even everybody gets two weeks Mm -hmm. and that's not enough working at the number of hours that we work each week is Mm -hmm. not enough rest for our physical mental emotional energetic and spiritual bodies like we need time to not only sleep but to move to be outside, to cook good food, right? Like all of those things take time to do. And it's why so many people are challenged with, how am I supposed to do all of those things that really care for myself? It's because, again, the system isn't set up for it. Yeah, you know, there are people who benefit from women, in particular, being exhausted. If we Mm. are exhausted, we are not in our power. And so I think it is a subversive thing. I think it's great to point out what's wrong, but you and I are both about, okay, so we don't like that. What are we going to do, right? There is power in our embodiment, in our self-care. And so I think one of the things that really matters is the more that we become aware of it, the more we can be, I would say, subversive in the sense that we can start to advocate for, okay, what do Mm -hmm. I need? What do I need to put down? First of all, some of these things I don't need on my list. They just don't need to be there. But beyond that, what do I need and how can I make it happen even while I live in a system that isn't designed to support people the way that you and I think it probably should? Right. Right. The system is as it is right now. And I love that word subversive, Mm -hmm. right? Because we Mm -hmm. can start saying no. And I think that's what's happening right now. There was uh, Mm -hmm. an article recently written about the great resignation in academia, which is, you know, I just left my position in academia this year. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just me (laughs) because everyone is like, This is crazy. You're asking us to do more and more with less and less and saying, you know, hey, this there's this like subtle expectation that it's not really a 40 hour work week. 
in most of our positions, right? Teaching is the same way. And, and our children subsidize other people's children's education through the lack of our parenting, right? right? Like right. every moment that I did not have to spend with my children outside of the workday, which was every single day and every single weekend, other people's children are benefiting from my time that my children don't get. That's a detriment mm. to everybody, right? Everybody, right? Yeah, it's like that in so many areas. This, well, if we don't have, as you mentioned, healthcare, right? You don't want to leave your job because of, well, you don't want to lose your healthcare or you don't want to lose the, you know, whatever benefit that you needed. Right. And then we see, well, how could we support those that are in need, healthcare that would be more universally available? We could see, that subversive piece that you were talking about is how can I say no, right? I always tell my students and clients that rest is actually a boundary. If you feel like you're having a hard time resting, then that's a boundary issue. So where can we say no to things that we think we have to or need to do mm. that we can actually say, no, I'm not taking that committee on. No, I'm not going to mm. stay past five o'clock no, I know you want me to have that done and I matter. Yeah. Right. One of the, one of my favorite things I'm very proud of mm -hmm. actually is I created the syllabus. If the kids are overwhelmed, mm -hmm. the students, and I am overwhelmed with the thought of correcting it, then which of these things are actually required and which things can I just say, you know what, we're actually not going to do that thing. We're going to, we're going to drop it right. so that the things we do are more meaningful because as it is, this is going to stress us out too much and we're not going to do it. That's right. And I still have a reputation from my time as a teacher of teaching my students a lot of things, even after I drop stuff. So it's probably okay, you know? Right. Yes. Yeah, it is okay. And in fact, you know, I don't know how many times I did the same thing. I'm right there with you that mm -hmm. my students, we would have a test, we would have something due and the students would be looking like they were drowning. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know what, let's just do it later or let's cut this one out or why are we even focusing on this? Let's pick the things that are important. And they would just look at me with shock because they <laughs> would say like nobody does that nobody just decides to do things differently in the middle of a semester or to take take life you know a little bit easier a little bit kinder a little more gentle and they were really in awe that that was even a possibility well and there's a lot of you have to be willing to do that and people might not approve of that that might not look quote mm. professional but at the same time, right. when when it comes down to it, you need to survive and the students need to survive. And if, if you push them harder, it's not going to make them perform better. That's right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make them worse, right? And it's going to create more issues and everybody will be less successful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that yeah. quote, professional. That's part of this whole, sh you know, shtick. <laughs> that we were all given mm -hmm. of there's a 40 hour work week. What does professional mean? You have to do this. And all of it is made up mm -hmm. every single bar part of it. And we believe it. 
And then we're all just saying, well, we have to look professional. Right. I have to be the expert. And really, what if professional was, mm-hmm. oh, my students are struggling. Right. I'm a human. They're human. How can we support the humanness of education and academia or whatever field you're in mm-hmm. and really show up for a way that is kinder, gentler, and probably would actually be more supportive of our cognitive skills and abilities. Right. So I have two different directions I want to take this. One is to just say, I think that right now we are in the churn of the pandemic revealed this. And there are people like, okay, Mm. let's get back to work now. And then the other people saying, no, I've seen this. And I think the millennials, you know, I'm definitely Gen X, you know, brought up by the boomers. You know, I see what must be done. And the millennials had already started seeding that conversation. I think that we've all seen it now, right? So Mm. we are, I think, at a pivot point in our society in terms of, of the people who are trying to force us back into and the other people going, no. (laughs) I mean, there's lots of churn happening in our society. I don't even want to get to it all, but (laughs) right. One of the things that you, you were hinting at and I want us to specifically talk about is if we know how we need to take care of ourselves makes it so much easier to advocate for ourselves. So would you please talk about the ways in which we need to take care of ourselves in ways that we might not even be cognizant of if we're just going about day-to-day life in this society? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of my <laughs> big things that I love talking about. This, this is, is it, this right? is your wheelhouse. I know. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's is, it's just as you said. You know, I mean, really, it ultimately boils down to one thing, which is you learn to listen to what you need, and that deep mm. listening. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I need more sleep, and if I don't get enough sleep, then I have a headache. Mm-hmm. Then I go back to bed. You know, like those that level of listening, if we really paused, slowed down enough and Mm -hmm. listened to our body saying, I need movement. I need sleep. I need, Mm -hmm. there's something, you know, if we knew enough, like, oh gosh, I need more greens in my, you know, diet, more anti-inflammatory food. But we aren't taught those subtle signals of, oh, that's what that means in my body because we're so often rushing through, right? That's the, I don't have enough time piece. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I always think of it as the five basics. We look at what does the physical body need? Um, I think of the five wellness bodies, the the physical wellness body, the emotional wellness body. What is our, what do we need emotionally to take care of ourselves, which usually means when an emotion arises, we notice it, we sit with it, we process it in some way. Right. Because if we don't, it's still it's still there. It's just causing us issues instead of us working with it. It works against us. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it can show up as then autoimmune disorders mm-hmm. or it can show up as migraines or oh. it can show up as why is my neck always so tight? Right. All of those pieces that we think I need to go to a doctor Mm -hmm. for my back pain when it might be, well, actually what might be called for is Mm -hmm. 
processing through some of those emotions that that you've been, you know, kind of pushing down and shoving down <laughs> into your body for several years. So, so that's the emotional body. And then the mental body is taking care of the mind and the thoughts and the beliefs that we have and being present, right? That, you know, how can we be present with ourselves in this moment? Can you, can you talk more about that? Because I think I, I yeah. hear that a lot. But for somebody who maybe isn't used to that, what does that actually mean to be present with your thoughts? What does that actually look like? Oh, yeah. Well, again, I could go on to <laughs> for this for a really long time. I know. So, <laughs> snapshot version. <laughs> the snapshot is, you know, it begins with awareness. And instead of being in the future or the past, really being present to well, what's here right now. So that could be a thought or a belief, it could be an emotion, it could be a pain in the body. But the, the presence part, you know, that's mindfulness is my kind of choice way of, of being in the present moment of listening to what's here right now. Is there a thought in my head that says, I'm so exhausted, I can't believe this, this is never going to work. Or is there a thought in my head that says, it's okay to take a break. I, mm. I love you no matter what, I'm gonna support you. And really right now we need to rest, right? Those are two very different thought patterns that probably even as you listen to them, you can feel a reaction in your physical body as a result of that. It's, it's, a, it's a decompressed thought, Yeah. right? Like, okay, right now I just need to rest and that'll be okay. Mm, mm -hmm. Yes. And, and often we don't have that <laughs> because the model is, well, you got to work hard. It's not professional. Why don't you, you know, <laughs> you, you can't be lazy. Those are the things that we've heard from our parents who were instilled with that, from their parents who were, right, the, the generational ancestral beliefs around work ethic. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have three of them. What are the other two? The other two are energetic and spiritual. And, you know, I firmly believe that energetic is one of the areas that most people miss when they think about exhaustion and rest and this, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> this system the way it is, is we aren't taught about energy in America. That's, we don't discuss that. Um, no, I remember the first time somebody started talking to me about energy and I'm like, well, what do you, what do you even mean? Right. Like to me now it's so infused in, in the world that I live in, um, the life coaching and sort of mm -hmm. energy working and whatever. Right. But like people aren't raised to even know what does that even mean? Energy? What does that even mean? Right. Right. We don't discuss this. I mean, it's a very subtle body and they've been doing some research with it in the last, you know, 20 years or so looking at what some people will call biofield or you may have heard it as called aura at some point right it's this subtle in yoga they talk about it as a subtle part of who we are or in japanese tradition they'll talk about chi or ki right so those the different eastern traditions have always talked about this subtle form of it's not our physical body it's not our emotional body but something that we can feel like when you walk in a room with someone who's very upset, mm. you can just tell that there's a different feeling in that room yeah. than before you walked in. And that's mm. kind of the easiest way, you, you know, I can explain energy. I think about this 
in an airport too, right? You can walk into an airport and feel the energy of an airport, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and I think, I mean, like, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of like Peanuts cartoons, though, like, like, even though we don't <laughs> think we know about it, like there's Pigpen who just carries like his clouds of dust around him. Exactly. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Like energetically, there are people that are just, you know, there are people that just light you up just by being mm -hmm. around them, or there are people who they just kind of, they, yes. they kind of suck you down or like, you can be aware of that. And not to say that you would ignore all the people, but to say the more that you're aware of your own energy, the more you can tend to your own energy. So you are less susceptible to everybody else's stuff. Yes. And I love that pig pen visual because that's, it's beautiful, right? It's just, it is, <laughs> it's like this thing that he just walks around with. And when in the same way, when we walk by someone who has that kind of lots of energy kicked up around them, you can accidentally pick it up, right? It's not good or bad. It's just not your energy. And so, you know, some people are always like, oh, I just need to keep my energy clear. And I'm like, no, you can clear it. It's just like, you know, you want yours to be <laughs> your energy and you want other people to have their energy. And it, it's just like a hygiene <laughs> kind of a situation is we just don't want to be picking up other people's, you know, pig pen vibes <laughs> around them all the time. But so if you know about that, then you don't need to be pristine about other people you just need to know maybe techniques or what are you thinking yeah that's my the way that i view it because i think a lot of people get really worried like oh my gosh i don't want to pick up somebody's energy and i think it's like when you are walking across a hardwood floor with white socks on you're gonna have some dust and some dirt on your socks it's okay you just wash the socks like that's the way that I think about it. So yeah, techniques to learn how to say this is my mm. energy, I'm not going to take that energy or techniques to clear the energy. And these are relatively simple techniques that anyone can learn. Okay, so we've got four of them. And the last one you said was spiritual. What do you mean by that? Spiritual yeah, so I define this slightly differently than some people do. A lot of people think, you know, only in terms of their relationship with a higher power. I think of it as more of a global holistic way. I include not only in spiritual, I think of our own soul mm -hmm. essences. So basically, who, what makes us who we are, but also our relationship to guides, it can include higher power source energy. So looking at you know, are we spending time in all the things that we are doing? Are we balanced in that way too? So when we want to be well balanced, when we want to take care of ourselves, that's an important piece of it. Am I connecting with whatever feels right for me? If you don't connect with guides and you're like, Rebecca, that's too out there for me. I only want to speak to God. Beautiful, right? If that's your spiritual tradition, I say, then that's your spiritual tradition. And that's fantastic. So I think, you know, my quote, religion is actually <laughs> is lots of different religions and several guides thrown in. Because that's, you know, I love the multi-dimensional, multi, you know, I'm multi-passionate about things. So yoga deities, you know, Buddhist traditions. I, I like a traditional god too, goddess, you know, all of them. And then I have my own guides that I work with spiritually. And the more that I am in connected with all of that, that part of me then is 
healthy and well. And it, that, again, we go back to that subversive. Then I'm not as willing to say, oh, okay, I'm going to beat myself into the ground because I know I'm part of all that is. Hmm. And I love this idea. So, you know, I was, of course, raised Christian. You, you, thou shalt have no other God before me, mm. right? Like, like there's one God. And what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, I'm going to take this God and I'm going to take that. I'm going to take all of this. And those things are, are all complementary. They're amplifying their, their, they're working in concert is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's my experience. Yeah. One of my teachers said, we're all pointing at the same moon, just using different fingers. Hmm. And that's been my experience. And I think when people have permission to know that, well, use whatever language you want. I don't have to believe what you yeah. believe for you to connect in that way. If that's how you yeah. connect to God, there you go. And in everyone, you know, I used to work with uh, patients who had had stroke and I would teach them meditation. And they would, during the meditation, talk about their experiences of meditation as being very much a connection with God. Mm. They're, you know, all of, almost all of them older individuals in the South, Christian, right? Mm. And, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful connection with their source, their, you know, that higher power connection. And it just was uh, amazing to witness. And it may not have been the way I would have described it, but it was very clearly had that same, you know, going back to energy, had the same energy, had the same resonance as exactly what I feel when I'm having conversations with my version of goddess or divine energy or whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm thinking about as you're saying that is that I think sometimes what we hang on to, like we desperately hang on to things because we're afraid that those things that were meaningful to us will have to give up. So you can't possibly get rid of 40 hour work week mm. because I don't know, people will stop working altogether and just do nothing or whatever, right? Can't allow meditation because people might not be this, this religion or that religion or whatever. And what I hear you saying is that when we open up possibilities for people to explore things in different ways, it actually more likely makes it possible for those good parts or the parts that we see as beneficial to thrive and support us. Yes, exactly. Right. When we open up to what's possible, just even say, I don't know if I believe that and it's okay that someone else may have something different. It starts to, and I think this is what a lot of people can be scared of, is exactly as you're saying, they can be scared that it means that they were wrong if they open up with that. And I don't, that's not the way that I see it. That's not my experience of it. It's just, we're all talking about the same thing in a very, not even very, I would say slightly different way. Like the fear that things will change is really just a fear that I've done something wrong or the thing that I believe in is somehow going to, you know, negate who I am or all that I've done all these years, right? So it can be really challenging to say, well, maybe I can still be me and let go of the old. Oh, that feels so good. <laughs> It's always so good to talk with you, Rebecca. We always go somewhere where I'm like, how do we get here? But I like it. 
it's true. It's so fun to talk to you too. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Rebecca Schisler Marshall. You can read about her and check out her links in the show notes. Backstage at Courageous Wordsmith, my editor is the talented Will Quee, and my producer is the fabulous Maddie Kelly. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe right on this page, share it with your friends, and sign up for True Lines, my letter for real-life creatives, so that you can stay current with future episodes and opportunities to write. And if you're feeling called to write and you wonder how I can help, what offerings I have for you, you can learn more about me and my community at amyhallberg.com. I am Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.